1: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people.
2: Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy.
1: We have to make our country great again, and I will do that.
3: I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird.
1: Last week, President Biden unveiled a two trillion dollar infrastructure package that he described as a once in a generation investment. The president saying this proposal would be funded by raising the corporate tax rate from twenty one percent to twenty eight percent. Many Republicans have already come out against the proposed infrastructure bill, taking issue with the tax increases and other provisions in the plan. With such narrow majorities in the House and Senate, Democrats will need near unanimous support to have a chance at getting this plan passed. For this and more, we'll bring in our all-star panel this week, former communications director of the DNC and executive director of the Institute of Politics and Public Service at Georgetown University, Mo Alethi, editor of townhall.com and Fox News contributor Katie Pavlich and political editor at National Journal, Josh Kroschauer. All right, Mo, um, you have now Joe Manchin, West Virginia senator, saying, you know what? I'm not going to buy 28% corporate tax. I'm just not going to do it. I could get to 25, he said, but I'm not doing 28. Do they have a Joe Manchin problem? Well,
2: Joe Manchin's like the kingmaker on Capitol Hill these days, uh, given the narrow uh, majority that Democrats have. Look, the way I look at this is this is an opening uh, back and forth. White House starts aspirational with what they'd like. They see what, how much of it people are willing to buy. And then they work downwards from there. But the thing they got going for them is that infrastructure, which was once a, a bipartisan issue, um, is something that I think a lot of people care about. It's something that touches just about every community. And the White House is taking it on the road and selling it as an aggressive jobs package. And that's going to buy them, I think, some goodwill and... Uh, put a little bit of pressure on some of the folks who may be kind of squishy on parts of it. I don't think the ultimate law is going to look exactly like this, but I think they'll get a lot of it. And that would be a big improvement from where we are now.
1: Katie, they're, they're using the the generous term infrastructure uh, because there's less than half as we know it in this bill that falls under that traditional term infrastructure uh, right. and a lot of other projects in here, as we saw with the COVID relief bill that really was kind of a broad spending bill. And this could be two different bills of uh, big spending.
0: Right, so we have this first bill, which they're calling more of a physical infrastructure bill despite (laughs) a lot of it not funding physical infrastructure. And then they're previewing a bill that will come After this one, which they're calling human infrastructure, which they're saying is more of a social bill, but there are a lot of social service programs in this quote infrastructure bill. And it's very clear that the left flank of the Democratic Party is pushing the agenda and the policy positions of the Biden White House. This could have been an opportunity for real bipartisanship that Joe Biden called for on the campaign trail with Republicans and Democrats who do want to uh, invest in real infrastructure because it's obvious that airports and bridges and based on the Army Corps of Engineers, the assessments they've done with the shape that our infrastructure is in around the country, that there is badly needed infrastructure projects. But when you throw it into a $2.5 trillion bill, that's chock full of other pet projects, the infrastructure doesn't necessarily get done, and it gets caught up in this back and forth of whether this is really an honest bill. And Joe Biden, based on how he campaigned, could have been the guy to get something like this truly done. Um, But it seems with the way that they're moving forward, the Joe Manchin thing today is a big deal because they need every Democratic vote that they can get to push this through. But because they pushed through that two trillion dollar quote COVID relief bill, which really wasn't about COVID relief at all, this bill is very similar in terms of what it does. They don't have a lot of credibility when it comes to you know really focusing on what they're claiming publicly. And if yeah. you look at the fact sheet, the White House puts out, it's not just about you know it, it's uh, you know that they're arguing that. If you, now that if you don't support this, you're not supporting women going back to work and bolstering programs for seniors. So they're putting a lot of emphasis on the social aspect of this as well, despite saying there's a whole nother bill coming for that in the future.
1: Yeah. Josh, the, the thing is, that, and I hear that from Republicans about what what they're saying, and what they're doing, uh, talking about the administration and they're being disingenuous with pushing this forward and, and a plan that looks like it's using only Democrats. However, they're winning. I mean, approval ratings are above 60%. The approval rating for the COVID relief or whatever you want to call it, the stimulus, the first one was above 70%. I'm not sure everybody knew really what was all in there. I doubt that people who are saying that it's great knew that it paid pensions in New York and Chicago, but they're winning on the messaging front. Um, Is this going to continue to happen?
3: They won widespread support on the stimulus bill because it was containing a lot of goodies. And even if you don't think they were directly related to emergency stimulus relief, you know people were receiving fourteen hundred dollar checks for the most part. Uh, that that were that were facing tough times during the pandemic. There were a lot of lot of direct payments, a lot of lot of entitlements that are part of the program, and there weren't a lot of costs. And the difference with the infrastructure and the social welfare package really is, is part of the big deal is that it'll involve tax hikes, corporate tax hikes, maybe tax hikes on wealthier Americans. And that's always been a tricky issue for Democrats, that, that, you know, trying to sell a trillion dollar spending package with trillion dollar tax hikes. And even if it only affects, you know, certain Americans, I think that's a lot trickier. It's easier when you're just giving away stuff. It's another thing when you're asking certain Americans to bear costs. And that's what I think makes this infrastructure bill a little bit trickier, especially because you've got Joe Manchin in the Senate, you've got Kirsten Sinema in the Senate that are going to that are already calling for some cutbacks into the into the program. And you also have a whole lot of these House Democrats in pretty affluent, high-end districts that used to be Republican districts, much more uh, competitive now. But you already hear a lot of these 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 moderate Democrats being concerned about the scope of the package. A few of them are talking about actually getting tax deductions for wealthier Americans as part of the salt deduction that was that was waived during during the the Trump tax reform. So you know, I, I think there are going to be a lot of skeptical Democrats, and it's going to be a tough tough slog to get. Uh, everyone on board on the same page for the infrastructure bill.
1: In the meantime, Mo, um, this Georgia law has really stirred a hot and corporations weighing in, Delta, obviously Major League Baseball, pulling the All-Star Game. But it seems to have invigorated Republicans because they say the president didn't talk about it correctly, talked about it uh, the wrong way, mischaracterizing what's actually in the law. Has that how it's rolled out uh, reaction to that law hurt Democrats in some way.
2: No, I don't think so. And in fact, I think you can connect this to to the previous conversation we were just having, Brett. Joe Biden's out there talking about COVID relief. He's out there talking about infrastructure. He's out there talking about jobs. These are things that are on voters' minds. Republicans are talking about voting restrictions. And when, you know, to your average American, while it may reinvigorate the Republican base, which needs some reinvigorating after their election losses, it, it, I don't think it's speaking to the broad majority of people. And I think that's why one of the reasons why you are seeing um, some lopsided um, results in, in approval ratings right now. At the end of the day, I, you know, the president misspoke on, on one point, but there's a lot of conversation out there about what this new law is doing wrong. And, and the fact that you're getting corporations that don't typically weigh into politics stepping up and saying this law is a huge, huge overreach trying to solve for a problem that didn't exist and would, in fact, restrict in many ways, I, I think it, the backlash will be against Republicans, not against Democrats at the end of the day.
1: Katie, I'm not sure how it restricts in, in- like Mo's talking about. I mean, it expands the early voting hours. Uh, It mandates uh, business hours from nine to five voting as far as instead of just saying business hours, election day stays seven to seven. Um, And there are more early voting days in Georgia than there are in New York. Uh, And Chuck Schumer wanted to bring the all-star game to New York. Um, Yeah. Major League Baseball is going to have to be careful what state they go to. I think there are twenty seven states that have more restrictive laws than the Georgia law that was just proposed.
0: Yeah, the New Georgia law doesn't restrict voting. It expands voting. In fact, there are seventeen early voting days now in Georgia in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. There are zero early voting days, and there are more early voting days in Georgia than there are in New York. And so you know the MLB at the corporate level made a, a knee jerk decision that the Atlanta Braves came out against saying it wasn't their recommendation and it wasn't something that they are happy with, that the all-star game is now being moved. And now you have this interesting Democrat on Democrat problem where Joe Biden won Cobb County and now Cobb County is going to lose a hundred million dollars in badly needed revenue after the pandemic. And you have officials there coming out and saying the solution to uh, pushing back or protesting this geor- the, the new Georgia election laws is not to take away badly needed income for communities of color in Georgia. And while at the same time Democrats are trying to blame uh, Republicans for this, um, you know the the Georgia Republican governor. Uh, Brian Kemp is is not backing down, saying they clearly haven't read the law. And if the MLB wants to uh, virtue signal and claim that all these things in the Georgia bill are bad, well, then they're going to have to take their MLB headquarters out of New York and do the same for uh, all these other places where they're they're hosting events where the election laws are more restrictive than they are in Georgia. And it's not that Joe Biden just misspoke about this law. He he called it Jim Crow 2.0 after he had a meeting with Stacey Abrams in Georgia who's been pushing this narrative. And when you, you call something Jim Crow 2.0, well then you assume the response has to be pretty severe because the Jim Crow era was a horrific period in American history. Well, that's not what this bill is. And so the MLB I think is having the issue of the, the narrative in terms of their own teams being upset with you know the move, the Atlanta Braves. And now this issue where the local Democrats in Georgia are suffering the consequences of the boycott that Joe Biden supported. And then today you have the White House press secretary trying to distance themselves and say, well, corporations can make decisions on their own. But, you know, Joe Biden's the one who said that the words of a president matter. And he said that he would support the boycott. And here we are.
1: Right. Josh, I guess what I'm saying is it seems ham handed to me, but is there some kind of thing that I'm not thinking of that they are looking at a shiny thing while they are moving forward on infrastructure and lining up votes it seems ham-handed to me to give senator rubio the ability to say to the head of major league baseball i assume you're going to get rid of your augusta national membership now that you've moved the all-star game out of atlanta or senator cotton to say well is major league baseball going to stop doing deals with china because there's not a democratic bone in Xi Jinping's body, according to President Biden. The the roads go on on what you could say about this.
3: I think, I mean, one of my ultimate rules of politics is that the party that's divided is is the one that's losing. And before all the debate over the Georgia bill, it was the Republicans who were divided. Uh, You know, you had a governor, you had the secretary of state, you had a lieutenant governor in Georgia, all Republicans who didn't like, you know, who were raising hell about False allegations of voter fraud that Republicans, some Republicans were making, including President Trump. But now you have the Democrats and trying to oppose what, what ended up, as you noted, Brad, a, a pretty mainstream, you know, I, I think in the, in the whole, it doesn't have much of an impact on, on voter access. A lot of the worst provisions that were being debated about were never part of this bill. And you have a lot of misrepresentation from the president on down in the Democratic Party. And this is all one big political kabuki play until Major League Baseball pulls the all-star game out of Atlanta. And, you know, I think there's a risk. I mean, if you actually want, listen to what Stacey Abrams said before baseball made its decision, she didn't want baseball to pull out of Atlanta. She wanted to energize the base, you know, really, really raise holy hell, but didn't want boycotts, didn't want baseball to pull out of Atlanta because she's worried that the Democratic Party and her, her possible gubernatorial campaign in the future will get blamed and that's what republicans are now the republicans are now unified they, they they're, they're they're angry that this bill is being misrepresented and frankly being lied about by the president of the united states and democrats are divided because as katie noted you know there are a lot of moderate voters in cobb county that you know don't understand why, why this you know created the cancellation of the all-star game in atlanta so i think they're playing with fire uh, by you know both sides and i think you know Democrats overreached and could end up have handed Republicans a winning issue in
1: the next election. No, I don't want to dwell on it, but it, Biden won by let's say eleven thousand plus votes in Georgia. Uh, they just won the two runoff Senate seats that are now putting them in position to pass these big pieces of legislation, and yet what they do in response is to stir up this kind of woke culture that corporate america is scared of and thereby hurts georgia by the tune of a hundred million dollars just by mlb's decision
2: you know i think any notion that democrats are divided on voting rights really sort of misses the ethos of the democratic party right now i don't know that they're not the
1: voting rights this action
2: yeah i look i I, and, and these economic boycotts have proven to be an effective tool in the past. I don't think Democrats are are the ones who are necessarily riling it up as much as corporations reacting to to some some really negative stuff in there. And this bill will have some negative impact on voting. It's going to make it harder for people to request absentee ballots. It really restricts the, the number and use of drop boxes around the state. It makes it harder to deal with if there's a problem at the polling place, it makes it harder to extend hours when necessary. These are all things that would end up making it more challenging for certain people to vote. It extends early voting in rural communities, but doesn't really in in urban areas.
1: Now, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No, it says nine to five. It sets that nine to five in the rural areas. Some of those places didn't staff it all day because they didn't have staff to do it so they set it nine to five but each county can extend those hours either before or after and on election day yeah, no, 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 and then they that, this is what i'm their saying early voting days 17 days delaware doesn't have early voting new york has like five days breath. so why Tol- look, Mo, is this i i, I just got to hear from you why this is so exorbitant as far well, as like I can. said,
2: it will actually expand. You're right; it will expand it in a lot of those small counties, and that part's a good thing. But it doesn't help in the more populous urban counties. It restricts the number of days where you can request an absentee ballot. It requests it. It prohibits localities from mailing out absentee ballot applications to voters. Without knowing know, a lot, a lot of those measures. Well, many of which came into play in this last time, in this last election made it easier for people to vote, and that should always. And this is what Democrats are arguing: that should always be the goal to make it easier for people to vote. This doesn't do anything to tackle some uh, alleged voter fraud that doesn't exist. What That's this does what is, saying. in certain right, in certain areas, it makes it harder for people. To vote. I understand that's a problem. but,
1: But is defending voter ID, providing an ID to vote, to show that you are who you say you are, is that a hill that Democrats want to die on, defending, preventing voter ID?
2: Yeah, Democrats have, I mean, this has been the main topic of conversation. Voter ID has been the main topic of conversation when it comes to voting reform for a long time. And Democrats have stood very, very strongly against that because they say it makes it tougher for some people to vote, people who can't get IDs. It has been a loser for them up till now. It has been an effective argument for them up till now. But what this law does is go so much beyond that. Right. I'm not saying everything in this law is bad. In fact, you know, we talked about how it does expand early voting in some counties. But when you look at it in its totality, this was an overreach. This went too far. And it is going to make it more challenging for some people to vote. And, and that should never be the objective.
3: We'll
1: hear what they have to say after this. From the
3: Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News hourly update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: I think it's going to make more challenging for Major League Baseball. I think it's going to make it more challenging for Coca-Cola and Delta. Because there's going to be a backlash about this, I think. Yes,
0: yeah, and, and you know, Mo gives the bill credit for some good things, but President Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams are calling it Jim Crow 2.0. So you know, and a lot of the the things that were that you're discussing were emergency measures put in for COVID that were not in before the pandemic, and and so therefore they took them out. But on the backlash, Brett, in terms of you know people looking at these corporations and saying all I want to do is watch baseball. You know, Michael Jordan had the famous quote of Republicans buy sneakers too. And, you know, we saw, we've seen a number of of entities go woke and go broke, as they say. And people don't want to feel like they are spending their money in a place where they are going to be classified as racist because they agree with 80% of the country that believes voter identification to vote should be a requirement. And you have Republican Governor Brian Kemp saying, we're not backing down, read the read the law, read the legislation. You now have Texas going to implement uh, similar reforms to their voting system, uh, and, and they're tired of it. They, they've done it long enough, and they've responded to these knee-jerk reactions to CEOs and corporations from these far-left activists that don't line up with the facts, and they're they're fighting back this time and not going to back down.
1: Last thing, Josh, I, I, I want to just kind of end where we started and that is the legislative push. I mean, are we going to see an end to the road of Democrat only legislation with this infrastructure or whatever you want to call it, spending packages because of just the reality of the math and Joe Biden, that is what he was as a Senator, but it wasn't how he was looking at policy in the first you know, few weeks of his administration.
3: Yeah, I think you can forget the notion of of unity and bipartisanship. Uh, You know, the second that the stimulus bill passed on a party line vote and, you know, frankly, there wasn't a whole lot of desire for negotiating and compromise on on the stimulus bill. You know, I think that set the the stage for uh, the next two years. And frankly, you you talk to folks in the Biden White House and their philosophy is pretty simple. They they, they think they have a narrow window, a two year window to get things done with an narrowly uh, divided Senate with a 50, 50 majority and a, and a narrowly divided House. And they feel like, you know, they're going to lose the House. They think that, you know, given gerrymandering and given a backlash that usually happens in the midterms, they're not optimistic about having full power in two years. So they, they're trying to frame it as, bi- you know, bipartisan support from the voters. And the, and, uh, the stimulus did get, get widespread support and then they deserve credit for that. But, you know, ultimately, they're trying to package a lot of you know, liberal wish lists into nice-sounding uh, branding like infrastructure and, and and emergency stimulus. When there's a lot of other priorities for for Democratic uh, items in there, and I think that's going to be the, the the playbook for the next two years. And I think they're trying to get as much done before the midterms, and they're expecting a backlash, or at least, at least expecting even if they just lose a few seats in the House, that's probably going to be enough to to give Republicans power, and they're concerned about that.
1: Yeah, and Mo, we've talked before. I know the the blueprint of Obamacare, and feeling stung by negotiating efforts early on in that, and um, and that the Obama folks felt that as they are now Biden folks. Uh, but uh, now, you know, with the mansions, with uh, we're not even talking about the House where there's at least three or four, at least more moderate Democrats who have a problem with how uh, the taxes are structured so far. Uh, is this going to change or is it just going to be push as hard as you can and 2022 be damp
2: yeah I, again going back to where we started this conversation I think they're putting out their sort of aspirational legislative goals and I think they see where 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 things stand they'll try to get as many votes as they can and when they got to negotiate down they'll negotiate down but ultimately and Josh just touched on this you know I, I think what they are trying to do is redefine what you know how we all, Right. Those of us on this panel and this discussion, how we all talk about bipartisanship, take it outside the halls of Congress and point to where voters are. And so far, as you noted earlier, that has worked for them. And so while there's a lot of nervousness amongst Democrats about what happens in the midterm election, I think what they're trying to do is go out there and say, we've been putting forward an agenda that actually matters to you, that has bipartisan support amongst the voters. And the Republicans have not been helping their own case here. They have not had a unified message on the relief package. They, they are pushing, they're focusing on these voting laws in the states, which is getting all the headlines, rather than a coherent message pushing back on some of this beyond just taxes. That's, at the end of the day, I think going to set up a really um, interesting dynamic as we head into the midterms with Democrats being able to point to Uh, money in your pockets, shots in your arms, and creating jobs and rebuilding infrastructure as their core message. Uh, And Republicans don't have a really cogent response to that at this point. There's plenty of time, but not at this point.
1: Yeah, Katie, one more thing, um, in that we have um, a governor who was a focus of a 60 Minutes piece this week, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. And some people may, as I started that sentence, start to think, oh, it's got to be Governor Cuomo in New York, because he's got nine women now accusing him of sexual harassment. He's got a a federal investigation into uh, nursing home deaths. He has um, preferential treatment for his family and friends on COVID tests. Uh, But that was not the focus. The focus was on Governor DeSantis choosing how and which communities got vaccines. You now have Democrats in Palm Beach, uh, the top Democrat there in, in Palm Beach saying, I watched the 60 Minutes segment on Palm Beach County last night and feel compelled to issue this statement. The reporting was not just based on bad information. It was intentionally false. Um, and it seems like there's a pushback uh, to that. That's a statement from Mayor Dave Kerner of uh, the Democrat of Palm Beach.
0: Yeah, so there's two aspects to this. This is the, the 60 Minutes piece on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over the weekend, which essentially accused him of giving vaccine contracts exclusively to Publix uh, in return for the $100,000 donation that they gave him, which is was a routine donation. Their um, argument and, was pay
1: for play. That's what she was Right. Saying. Pay for
0: play. Right. And, and we now know if we're going to go on the pay for play argument that Governor Gavin Newsom in California received $23 million in campaign donations from Blue Shield of California, which he then gave exclusive rights to vaccine contracts. So that's one issue. But the other issue is, is now we're having Democrats coming out in defense of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis saying that the interview of Ron DeSantis and his statements in response to the allegations of pay for play were cut short so the full context was not given so it made it look like that's what happened and and Democrats are coming out and saying that that is not what happened and the issue here is the overall media narrative about Ron DeSantis, he's handled COVID in a way that is far more successful than I'd say any governor in the entire country. He would be a front runner for 2024 and the knives are out. But coming from 60 minutes, you would think that there would be more due diligence in terms of giving him a fair shot if they're going to accuse him of something like pay to play for vaccine distribution. So we'll see in the next 24 hours if they end up issuing a correction or an extension of the full context of, of his answer on that question.
1: And Josh, I mean, I've I've been a proponent, and I've I've said they've done good work, uh, but it's interesting to watch this piece. And of all the governors to choose, uh, they chose him. And this,
3: yeah, correlation doesn't mean causation, and that was sort of the fun. A lot of companies give money to politicians on both sides. They try to you know do that to hedge their bets, and that's a pretty common common practice. And also, you know, anyone who's been to Florida knows that you know their publics. That's the most. Common grocery store everywhere, so it's logical that you would have a relationship with, you know, the biggest grocery chain in Florida to to, to distribute the vaccine. So just as like a not someone who you know doesn't follow all the vagaries of Florida politics, but knows that that's sort of common sense for anyone who lives in Florida, uh, you know, raise raise my kind of skeptical antenna while watching that segment. Um, look, DeSantis also benefits politically from all this 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 media criticism and the double standards that that can be often uh, seem 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 pretty 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 evident. There's a reason why a lot of Republican polling shows him at the front of the line. If Donald Trump doesn't run for president in four years, I, th- I think Republicans are going to be looking for someone who's an executive who has, uh, you know, uh, not just legislative experience, but someone who actually governed a big state. So, I mean, th- th- all this all this criticism, I can actually the, the media, the allegations of media bias and, and double standards and all that stuff really fuels his popularity especially with Republican Party voters. So I think this, you know, this only helps him nationally, long term.
1: Backlash is always something politically. Uh, Thank you guys very much uh, for this week. Here's a bit of presidential trivia. April 3rd, 1948, President Harry S. Truman signed the multi-billion dollar European recovery program, best known as the Marshall Plan, which was intended to stop the spread of communism in Europe after World War II. The program was first proposed by Secretary of State George C. Marshall, who believed if the United States could restore the economies of countries struggling after World War II, then they could ultimately preserve democracy in Europe. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Mo, Katie, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.